We're continuing our series this morning um, on the book of James, and I'm looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles to hand, you could start to turn to that, although we will be putting it up on the screen. And if there's only one thing that you get out of this talk this morning, it is founding verse 6. Josh, can we put up the slide that is headed the provision? And I'll just underline what that is. So in James chapter 4, verse 6, we have coming up now, but he gives us more grace. Okay, we can take that that down now. Thanks, Josh. But just keep that in, in mind as we go through. He gives us more grace. So here, as we go into this uh, little study, a few things about grace. Many of you will know these, but it is just great to go over them again. The very centre and the core of the whole Bible is the doctrine or the key belief of the grace of God. Grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited and undeserved favour of God. Grace is free, it is sovereign, effective, favour to the ill-deserving, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's grace grounds and empowers everything in the Christian life. It is foundational and fundamental to being a follower of Jesus. I'm starting with this because James, if you know this passage, pulls absolutely no punches at all in a 12-verse accurate description of each one of us. And I thought you might like to know that there is some good news after this bad news, this hard-hitting diagnosis of us in James. So just keep that in mind as we go through this this talk this morning. So, Josh, can you put all the verses up, please? Starting with the uh, starting at the first slide, which starts with the first verse. I've divided up um, this particular talk into uh, three points, and I've, the first one I would describe as the problem, which is covered by verses one to five so i'm just going to read that through now if you have your bibles it'd be good to look at it as well but what causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your your desires that battle within you you desire but you do not have so you kill you cover but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god and when you ask you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You just put up the next, the next slide as well. Josh, the provision, as I mentioned earlier. Ha! Huh. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And the next one, please, next slide, which I've called the prescription. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift 
you will. So this talk, as I mentioned, splits into three. So we can just take that off now, uh, Josh. Um, there's a problem. Good news is a provision. And thirdly, there is what I've described as a prescription or a way forward. So firstly, the problem. James, as we're beginning to get to know his style, gets absolutely straight to the point. And he asked the question, what causes the fights and quarrels amongst you? Now, remember that James is writing to, to a church community. Um, just hold that in, in, in mind. And it got me thinking about um, what has caused fights and quarrels in my life over the years that I've lived. And I've kind of flagged up a few things that has, uh, have occurred over the years. So I'm starting with the 10-year-old David Donkin, who used to argue and fight and quarrel with his two sisters. So I have a, a younger sister and an older sister. And anyone else who's in that position, you have my great sympathy. So you get pushed around from both sides by your two, your two sisters. I can remember a specific incident over a golf ball that got smashed out, that was hit and smashed a window. And I blamed my younger sister on it. We used to always be sort of arguing and fighting over various things, but it was always her fault. It was always my sister's fault. They were the ones that made me do it. Then, I, then we fast forward a few more years. The 18-year-old David Duncan, uh, who was deliberately difficult in a youth group in an effort to trip up the youth leader, an unnecessarily argumentative streak was in there arguing just for the sake of it. And then we move on to the 35-year-old David Duncan, not that long ago, being deliberately difficult with a work colleague because they've been promoted. And again, an argumentative streak and a difficult streak sort of was in there. I think we'll stop at that point because Karen's probably starting to wonder now what is coming next, but we'll stop at 35. So I know what you're thinking. Surely not the even-tempered David Donkin was like this. But it wasn't me. It was the importance of the issue. And they were all clearly in the wrong. So um, moving to films, which I like to sort of try and introduce in some of my talks, let me take you to a, a scene um, in the film Rocky Five, which I'm sure you'll all be very familiar with. And I had to actually check how many Rocky films there are. So if you Google it, there are actually eight Rocky films. And in case you are interested, um, if you Google how many Rocky films there are, a little box pops up about what people also ask when they're um, Googling Rocky films. And apparently some people ask, what order do the Rocky films come in? I mean, how would you ask that sort of question? I thought it was a bit of a joke because you've got Rocky 1, and after Rocky 1 comes Rocky 2, and after Rocky 2 comes Rocky 3, and so on to Rocky 5. And then there's a major change. You get Rocky Balboa and two things called Creed. Who knew all this stuff, and who cares? Anyway, I digress. Anyway, back to Rocky 5. Um, Rocky Balboa, who is played by Sylvester Stallone, is now retired, having gone through five Rockies. I suppose it was about time that he uh, called it a day. And he falls on hard times after his accountant mismanaged him his money. So 
watch that. Watch out for that with accountants. If any accountants are listening, sorry about that. Um, he's mentoring an up-and-coming fighter. And at the same time, he's trying to um, repair a re his, the relationship with his son. And he talks about these challenges are as hard as the ones that he faced when he was a boxer in the ring. And the mentor, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky Balboa, takes this boxing protege over to the mirror and he says, I'd love to do the, the voice, but unfortunately I'm not very good at it. The hardest opponent that you'll ever face is in that mirror. Josh, I think I have a, uh, a little pick there so that we can all see the wonderful uh, Rocky Balboa. Um, and again, interestingly, this is the 22nd of 35 Rocky Balboa quotes, so I'm sure they're all well worth looking at. The toughest opponent that you're ever going to face is in the mirror. It's a very emotional. Take that down now, uh, Josh, if you can. That'd be great. It's um, actually a very emotional moment in the film and a real tearjerker. Nothing like the, the, the rom-coms that some people watch. This is very, very, very emotional. But I can tell you this morning that James, in his book, has got there 2,000 years before Sylvester Stallone. So back to verse one, the answer to the question, what causes the fights and quarrel among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You are the problem. It's me that's the problem. And I know what you're thinking. David, it's Sunday morning. Isn't all this a bit too much? Isn't he speaking to a church? And as we've just been reading, nobody's murdered anybody at Gateway so far. So what's this all about? What's this talk about? Well, if you look at the top five reasons for business disputes, and I spend quite a bit of my time, I think I've been 35 years plus now uh, working in business, top five reasons that business disputes end up in court, you get money, legal compliance, people not prepared to compromise, disrespect, misunderstanding, fear. Um, and the top five reasons for people as individuals that fall out are money, children, intimacy, commitment, respect, and misunderstanding. There's a myriad of reasons that people fall out. And I've been in uh, the magistrate's court and the county court on several occasions on business disputes, just in case you were you were wondering. And just going back to the reasons that, that people fall out, there are obviously one or two, a couple key ones that I've not mentioned there, which is not loading the dishwasher correctly and not putting out the bins, but I'm sure that's just uh, me, perhaps. We just generally seem to have an amazing capacity to argue and fall out with each other. I came across a court case in our city, in fact, where next-door neighbours in Fishergate, and you can Google this case if you're interested, managed to accumulate legal costs of £300,000 arguing over who was responsible for repairing a drain. The drain actually cost £4,000 to repair, but they managed to accumulate £3,000 of legal costs along the way. So here's my dig at lawyers. They were the ones that got the benefit. So I've, got, I've had a dig at accountants. I've had a dig at lawyers, but you can all get back at me afterwards if you like. Um, there's other reasons that people fall out. If you, if you, some of you, I'm sure, don't do this, but if you look at the Daily Mail online, the social media disputes that are taking place with the wives of two, uh, some 
existing premiership footballers or previous premiership footballers falling out and issuing proceedings against each other from what has been said. So James then, having accurately diagnosed that we are the problem, it's us that causes disputes, he plunges the knifing. He, he mentions issues about praying. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. You're selfish. He goes further. He calls us adulterous people. He's saying that as a follower of Jesus, that relationship that we have with Jesus is like a marriage. We've made a promise, a commitment to follow Jesus and to try and see his influence in our lives in a certain way. And then we go our own way. And our thinking, our speaking reflects our distancing from God. James, in comparing it with adultery in marriage, is underlying that seriousness, the importance of that relationship. We've got the tendency to argue, we fight, our prayer life can go out of the window or become skewed and we become a little estranged from God. And these behaviours are warnings that something is amiss in our relationship with God. I don't know about what your car is like, but my car's a, an amazing, amazing, annoying habit of flashing up various symbols on the computer when something needs fixing. And over the last sort of week or so, I might have tried to ignore all these, but um, I've had unequal tyre pressures coming up. I mean, who had that years ago? Nobody ever knew what the tyre pressures were on their individual tyres. It wants me to put oil in next time I refuel. I'm 2,000 miles late from our service. And then latest one is AdBlue, whatever AdBlue is supposed to do. And you get a countdown saying that if you don't put AdBlue in within the next 200 miles, it will refuse to start. But I've always wanted to have a go and just to see whether that actually was, was true. And I try and ignore these signs, and they're just bleeping at me all the time. And I say, oh, I don't have time to deal with them. But you can only ignore them for so long before something seriously goes wrong and your car refuses to start. So I think there's a comparable there with James. These behaviours that James is talking about are symptoms um, of, 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 of an issue or a problem. And are you finding yourselves in that position? But these pressures of these last three months of lockdown and these changes in all our circumstances can quite easily take us to this place that James is describing in this first few verses. Do you find yourself arguing and picking a fight, being argumentative, like the younger Mr. Donkin, just for the sake of it? Have you stopped praying? Have you stopped reading the word? Are you becoming a little bit distanced from God because all this is a bit overwhelming? Aren't you glad I told you at the start about the provision that is available? The provision again, Josh, can we just put those verses back up? The provision is simple, but it was very costly. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. If you could just take that down again. Um, grace, remember, as I was speaking of at the start, is the love of God shown to the unlovely, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited favour of God given to me and given to you. 
It is by grace we are saved. We read in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works. We need, we constantly need grace for our walk with God. We need grace in our weakness. We need grace to free us from sin. A couple of verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And a song that I'm becoming just to enjoying more and more because of its richness is that song by Lou Fellingham called Everlasting Arms. And I just want to read a couple of verses. You know the song. But it's just great. There's just a richness. He lavishes grace as our burdens go greater. He sends us more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he offers more mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary. That's known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. It's a clear invitation. There's a clear invitation right across these, whether it be songs or scripture, for you and I to come to God. Um, if we're proud, the proud, we have an independent streak that wants to be in the driving seat of our lives. The warning signs that I've talked about that something's not quite right will be ignored by the proud. There is no fear of the Lord. It's, a, it's an attitude of, I know best, I will sort it. Whereas the humble that James is talking about will say, I don't know it all, but I have a trust and a confidence in our, in our loving Heavenly Father who loves me. And if I come to him in confidence, he'll forgive because a provision was made on that cross when Jesus died. It is a call to return back to our Father like the story of the prodigal son. And to quote another song, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. So that's the amazing provision of grace. So first we have the problem. Then we have the provision of grace. And then thirdly, we have what I've described as the prescription. I'll just read those verses again. Josh, if you could put up that third slide that I've headed the prescription. Just read those again. So the prescription, this is how we should live. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you just take that down, Josh, that'd be good. So the remedy or the prescription, which is described as a recommendation authoritatively put forward, like a doctor would prescribe, is how to live. So we've got six things that James, in, a, in his short, um, short three verses, we've got six things that James invites us to do. He invites us to submit ourselves to God, to recognize his just and rightful rule over our lives, submitting our desires, and parts of our character that need changing. It's not a, a submission that's under duress. 
like in the old days when you used to watch the wrestling when it was like submit submit it's a uh, voluntarily allowing god's rule over our lives and with submitting to god we read about in this uh, passage is resist the devil and he will flee from you so what does that mean what's this resisting the devil uh, business and i was drawn i don't have time to look at all the detail of this this morning just to that passage in ephesians 6 and came across my that um that slide josh have you got the slide of the uh, the armor of god you'll be f- perhaps familiar with this so we resist the devil by putting on the armor of god the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth the sword of the spirit which is the word of god the shield of faith and the gospel shoes or feet of peace as it's described here so to resist the devil is to turn to god and to use these resources this armory that's available you can take that down now josh um the these resources uh, that are available to us and i'll have a look at that in detail because i don't have time just to, to to do it this morning so we've got submit to god we've got resist the devil we've got the third thing draw near to god and there's a promise he will draw near to you so if you have if you're in that situation where you have a quarrel or a dispute i think it's good to bring it to god to get his perspective what would he say about it the things that i talked about earlier what if you bring them before god not every not every quarrel is is bad but if we bring them to 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 god and make sure that we're not just pursuing our own agenda and that we're getting god's perspective on it i think is what james is asking us to do and as we draw near to god god will always welcome us will always receivers okay number four in his uh, what james recommends us to do cleanse your hearts cleanse your hearts cleanse your hands and purify your heart so anybody washed their hands recently this is very apt you wouldn't have thought that this would have, um, uh, uh, appear in this season washing your hands does it ring any bells have we done it at all recently it's about our actions and our attitude. So as you washing your hands, it's an outward sign. Yeah? Washing our hands is an outward sign, and purifying our hearts is an inward sign. So he's asking us to do two things. In Psalm 24, we really we read, only those with clean hands and a pure heart can ascend the hill of the Lord. So as you wash your hands, as you as we continue in this. In this period where we need to do this regularly, just think about that, that, that this is a sign. This is a an, an, an outward sign in washing our hands, but as we have a pure heart, it's an inward sign of, of God's work that, that's done within us through what Jesus did. And to come into his presence, we receive that forgiveness, not an outward clean, but an inward change. Number five, we're nearly at the end. Um, as a call in there, there's a quite complex and difficult to understand series of verses that, and, and James uses quite emotional language about grieving and mourning. Uh, and what he's saying is, we is, is encouraging us to take sin seriously. A bit like I said earlier on about the marriage um, and, and analogy, um, sin is to be taken seriously, not to be taken lightly. It is forgiven. But it is a serious business before God. And lastly, number six, humble yourselves before God, as he says in verse 10, and he will 
lift you up. So this is coming before God in a humble attitude with open hands to receive, not this sort of proud attitude that James talks about, but he says, like, like the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. This isn't the end of um, the, 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 the verses in James. I didn't read these at the beginning, but we'll read these now. I've called this the postscript. So there's like a, um, a, a series of verses at the end. If you can just put those up, Josh, that I've called the, 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 the postscript. So I didn't want to, to, to leave this out, but it, 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 it's largely covered a lot in what, what we've heard uh, previously. So James is saying, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So this warning about being having a judgmental attitude and again the importance that Rachel spoke about last week and if you didn't hear the talk it was an excellent talk about the importance of our words and our attitudes so that's a sort of like a little postscript just a reminder again James keeps going and over about the importance of of of, of our words and that's just and not having this judgmental um, attitude so across his his uh, book James is constantly encouraging us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers, um, to avoid favoritism, be slow to speak, to be good listeners, to be doers and not just hearers of the word, and to be careful how we speak. A whole series of sort of fruits or attitudes, and, and several people have spoken, have, have talked about these as, a, as being a fruit of faith. And I just wonder if I can suggest this morning that that this faith works that we've been talking about and this faith that leads to action only really operates properly when there's an attitude of grace, when that grace is working through us as well. When we receive humbly by grace what Jesus did on the cross and we receive forgiveness, we move to a position of not striving but being content and allowing God's spirit uh, to work within us. And as that happens, the fruits and the form of works and character changes are evident. But that is underpinned or foundationed by um, the grace that, that, that James talked about. Was, uh, that if you get nothing else, like I said at the beginning, but he gives us more grace and that grace is available to us this morning. So I'm done. So just in summary, my three points, the problem, it's me, the provision, God's amazing grace to us and the prescription to submit to God, to come before God. He welcomes us to his presence, to come with humility, to accept that invitation that is always open to draw near to, to us. And, and as we draw near to him, that promise that he gives us, he will draw near to us. So I, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Caleb. So, Father, I just want to thank you for the richness of the, your word. I want to thank you for the grace that is available 
Father, we know we're sinners, Father. We, you both held up that mirror again to us this morning, and but we wanna, we wanna come before you this morning. We wanna receive your forgiveness. We wanna receive that amazing grace, and we just wanna submit before you this morning. Would you help us by your Holy Spirit to do that? Amen. Thank you for listening.